an important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. In this episode... Uh, it is a little bonus episode for everyone who listens out there uh, where I basically do a podcast on uh, the post-race digest from my recent full marathon. Uh, so for anyone who is interested uh, in this, I'm going to be interviewing myself <laughs> and how the race went uh, and, and you know some of the training techniques that you might be able to apply to you know, one of your goals that are coming up that you're trying to do either in a ketogenic state or in a low carb state or whether you're trying to, you know, train low or race high. Uh, I've, I've got some really interesting tips for you in this upcoming episode. Uh, so uh, I don't have a guest for this episode. It's just me. It's just me talking for the next, you know, however long. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're really interested in this type of stuff, I just want to preface with this uh, podcast in saying that I've got um, both a half marathon and a full marathon training program um, that is dedicated to basing your training around the ketogenic diet. So if you want to head over, um, the link is in the show notes to this episode. Uh, it's $25 and you get 12 weeks of training uh, and you get all of the training that I use to get up to marathon and uh, you know the training that I've also used for doing my half marathons as well. Uh, and any sort of racing, really, you can use this program for anything that you're trying to go for, running related, obviously. But it comes with the 12 weeks of training. It comes with uh, a, an ebook that comes with you know all of the nutrition suggestions and how you should hydrate and what what electrolytes you should be using and all of the you know pre-race stuff that you should have and some of the pre-training things like warm-ups and cool-downs and all of the different types of running that you'll be doing, so the intervals and the tempos and the long runs and how you should prepare for those. And then it comes with a whole bunch of videos that I just go through and explain everything to you so that it comes across as a really natural way to do a marathon without using all of these sugary gels and you know excess carbohydrates that have ultimately um, you know just you uh, they act as high octane fuel in your body and uh, you know they don't help you recover as quickly so um, I've just finished my marathon and uh, I could you know go out there and do a 5k today I feel really really good um, and my recovery is just going so well and this is just the day after the marathon so let's get straight into the actual podcast um, you know everything aside 
I wanted to talk a little bit about my personal story and, and how I got into the ketogenic diet and uh, some of the training tactics that I'll, I'll be going through and some of the training ta- tactics that I went through uh, building up to this marathon only in 12 weeks. So it's a relatively short amount of time. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm going to be talking about how the race went, some of the nutrition for the race, the pacing for the race as well. And uh, and then we'll have some short questions at the end like usual. Um, but, you know, my, my personal story is that I've always had something crazy on on the in the future you know I've, I've always set some kind of crazy goal that I wanted to achieve and, and I try and you know set my training and all of my goals towards that big goal so so one of those big goals was riding through Europe and I completed that at the end of last year uh, and and a few of my friends came along and we basically rode through Germany through Poland through the Czech Republic we rode through Slovakia we rode through um, a whole bunch of different countries and basically we were riding the entire way instead of taking um, transport to those places. So that was a really, really big goal for me and that was probably seven years in the making. Um, so, you know, not all of my goals are quite that big and quite that stretched out. But I had another goal uh, where to do three peaks down in Melbourne and that was a cycling goal. Uh, so that's two, 240 kilometers uh, over... 4,500 meters of elevation, which is, I think, about just under 15,000 feet. Um, and so that was a big, big challenge too because, you know, the, the cutoff was 12 hours. So I was able to complete that in 10 hours uh, and, and basically just blitzing all of my own uh, PRs <laughs> along the way and, uh, you know, averaging at a really, really good speed and climbing a lot of mountains. So that was that was fantastic. But um, you know, I always love to have one of these crazy goals in mind. And so 12 weeks ago when I was watching the Commonwealth Games here in, in uh, they were at the Gold Coast here in Australia, um, I, re- I got this big, big passion to be able to complete a marathon. And I've done half marathons, I've done 10Ks, I've done 5Ks. And I really feel like the marathon is like the pinnacle for all races. You know, obviously you go on to ultras and not many people make that progression from the marathon to an ultra. But the marathon for me, my partner Adele, she she works in the marathon when it happens, so she looks after all the elite athletes, and she's done that for a long time now. And so, I've been involved with the marathon, uh, but I haven't actually ever really run one before. And so for me, this was just such a you know such an awesome goal to put together and train towards, um, because you know not only should did she get where I was coming from, but it you really get this sense of fulfillment and uh, you know like you're at the pinnacle of this running career when you start doing marathons and you definitely feel that when you actually rock up to do the marathon as well so I really like to have these big training goals to base all of my training around and you know have something to really really work towards Um, and you know in the past I've probably done those on a relatively uh, moderate carbohydrate diet and I've always trained in a low carbohydrate state and then you know used carbohydrates in a race if it was something particularly hard Um, but uh, I, I came across the, the ketogenic diet listening to a lot of podcasts and listening to a lot of people out there who were 
you know, quite in-depth in nutrition and really looking at the ketogenic diet, not only for uh, nutritional benefits outside of performance, but but looking at how you can essentially become bonk-proof uh, w- with adapting a higher fat diet to your to your training strategy, and for for those people who don't know what bonking is, it's basically where your your blood sugar levels drop so low that you can't go forward, and you you just you you have to stop. You have to um, you know your head might go a little hazy, and and you've you've basically hit a wall, uh, and you can't run or cycle or whatever it is much much harder for much longer uh, so you really have to recover you have to slow down uh, and so the idea is that you want to be burning fat for a a long time and you want to be getting really efficient at burning fat so that that's how I came across the ketogenic diet because I was I was a cyclist for a very long time still am a cyclist and uh, and you know I, I would I would get to these points where Training, going out hard every single race, every single ride, every single training ride, going out extremely hard. I would just, I just burnt out, you know, doing all of these really, really tough training rides and really tough races. I really burnt out using all of that high octane fuel and being in that high heart rate for the entire time. Now, I don't know whether I was just, you know, trying to push the the, the level of training that I'd adopted. So maybe if I had more training, I might have been able to lower that heart rate and get into a better state and not actually push so hard. Um, but for me personally, I, I can sit in a very high heart rate for a long time. Uh, and so I remember my half marathon, I was in... Uh, almost anaerobic state for the entire time which which isn't that isn't that great um, and you know really changed the way I thought about doing these endurance runs by doing the keto marathon but you know I used to be the king of bananas and uh, I implemented all of these these training techniques throughout my training for three peaks and uh, the the ride through Europe that was that I guess that was mainly high carb as well um, but you know I wanted to uh, I wanted to try and adopt the this training style for the three peaks uh, goal that I had. So what I did was I, I went low carb for about four weeks and um, I accidentally got a six pack <laughs> and you know I was still riding and still trying to keep up the same momentum as I, as I was doing. Uh, and I essentially just hit this wall in my training because um, I'd go out and I'd do this ride and, and I couldn't ride as hard as I usually could or it wouldn't feel as easy or, a, you know, I was going up this, I remember distinctly, I was going up a hill in Byron and just looking down at my GPS going, why am I going so slow and it feels so hard? What am I doing? And even, you know, training with other people, I'd, I'd fall off the back and I'd, it was just not good. And uh, so I, I didn't adopt that style of training for the Three Peaks ride um, because, you know, it was important to me and I wasn't quite sure on how to actually adapt a ketogenic diet to training like that. Uh, so I eventually veered away from that. But I came back to it a little bit later and started to, you know, slowly edge it in. And so that that was sort of the inspiration for this keto marathon was that, okay, how can I actually ace this high-fat, low-carb diet and and try and implement it into something like a marathon, which is relatively high paced for, you know, as long as you're out there for, um, but it's not quite the endurance of something like an ultra. Uh, so, you know, uh, the, the, the training style that I tend to adopt and that works pretty well for me, um, and I've seen this work for other people as well. So 
I, the people that I went over to Europe with, we were, you know, training for that in the, in the lead up. And then I have also watched a lot of people train with the clubs that I rode with and, and some of the runs that I've done as well. I've run with a few work friends and, you know, their, their training style has been very, very similar to this. So I think this is uh, pretty important for most people is to get in three, um, you know, big efforts in a week. And, and by that, I mean, um, you know, a short one, a medium one, and a long one, because you don't want to be working the same effort or the same part of your body for too long. You don't want to be going out there and doing three long runs in a week or three long rides, because then you're losing your top speed because you're not doing any intervals. Uh, you know, so th- it's a it's a good mix of both. So what do I mean by three? Uh, so generally, it's one interval and then one tempo and then one long. And the intervals are broken up into just repeats of a particular distance. So for running, it might be 400 meters, 600 meters, 800 meters, one kilometer, one mile, those types of repeats. And for for cycling, it might be the same. You know, it could be uh, one kilometer repeats as well uh, at a certain pace or a certain speed. And so the interval runs are really important because you're building up the speed that your legs can turn over. And that's the same with cycling and running. You know, you're trying to build up that speed so you, your body knows how to actually run that fast. And then after that, um, you know, you, you can you can rest and you can get that. As, as long as you're trying to reduce the amount of recovery time that you're getting, that is a really, really good way on how to try and get faster for something like a 5K and a 10K. But it's also really useful for training for a half marathon and a full marathon because you want to keep that speed there. Um, and then, you know, the second run is a tempo run or a tempo ride. And so what you do in that respect is that you're, you know, putting two easy sections and you're having a tempo section in the middle. And tempo is basically aimed at a certain heart rate or a certain intensity. And that's generally where you start to um, tip over the threshold of not being able to hold that pace for very long. So, so a tempo run or a tempo ride generally is something long enough that is going to be extending your aerobic capacity. And so, you know, for me, I would start off doing a 1.5K just easy run or a one mile just easy run. And then then I would be doing eight or nine kilometers at a certain pace that I'd, you know, pull out. And, and that pace was something that I knew that I couldn't hold for much longer than that. Um, but it was something that was, you know, sort of overreaching or extending my ability to be able to train at that speed and, and try and train for what they call race pace. So that's a, that's a tempo run. And, and then you finish with a, an easy run on the way home and you sort of, you know, work that out on how far you're actually going out. And then the, the, the part and, and the end just become the easy in and outs and it's sort of like a warm-up and a cool down really and then you have a long run so for me the long runs or long rides or whatever it is that you're trying to do the long runs were just simply going out and running at what they call math pace and that's basically 180 minus your age so for me i'm 27 so 180 minus 27 whatever that is i try and run at that particular pace and you know as you get fitter that that pace can actually get higher um you know, and, and after a while, you sort of get to know how you're feeling at that particular pace and how long you've got left. So when you go out and you do 16, 18, 20, 24, 30, 36 kilometer runs, 
you know how long you can run at that distance for. Now, when I started the 12-week um, keto marathon training, I went out for 16Ks and tried to find my math pace and uh, you know just hit a wall at, at 13 or 14 kilometers. Now, I hadn't been running that much since the previous year and uh, you know it could have been down to just fitness, but I think it was mainly down to my, my body not being able to cope with the, the lack of carbohydrates and the, uh, wasn't able to, you know, burn fat efficiently. And I was still in a very, very high heart rate. So the idea of training in that math zone or, you know, a, a lower zone is to get your body really, really efficient and really good at burning fat. Uh, so that is such an important run when you're trying to train for an, an endurance ketogenic um, style of running. Uh, and so, you know, Outside of that, I was trying to incorporate some bike rides and some core workouts, um, but ultimately I could have done better with those. Like I, I did bike rides for the first four weeks and then after that it sort of just dropped off. Um, <laughs> and that was just me being slack basically uh, or not really understanding the importance of putting those rides in. And also the core workouts. If you're doing something like a long endurance run, having a good core is essential. And it means you, you don't break down in your form later on. And uh, you know it, it, it means that you can actually run more efficiently without using too much energy on trying to actually hold your body up straight. And while I'm sitting here, I'm like trying to straighten my body because <laughs> I know that core workouts are really, really good to try and effectively, you know, just take all of the pressure off. And I found this especially when riding as well. When you have a strong core, all of the weight comes off your arms and you can effectively hold your body up properly. And so you're not, you know, you're not getting sore hands or whatever it is. And same with running, you know, you're not slouching over, you're not creating this poor form that you you just limp on home after 30 Ks, you know, you're still standing up straight and you've still got a good um, composture or you've still got posture um, even throughout the run. So, um you know, it's really important to have a strong core. And that was something that I probably neglected a little bit as well. Um, and, and those are some of the changes that I would go back and try and fix on my next marathon. But all of these are in the training program that I've, that I've put together. And I think it's really, really important to actually do them. Um, you know, I, I was a little bit slack in this 12 weeks, but I, I, I definitely got all of the runs in. Those bike rides and core workouts definitely would have helped, and it doesn't have to be a bike ride. It could be a swim, or it could be uh, whatever it is. It's you're still just trying to build that aerobic capacity for your body to be able to effectively burn fat, but it's not something that is running. So you're trying to not run, but you're trying to you know still do something outside of that. So I think that's really important, and I think that's sort of the summary of the training program that I was trying to follow. And uh, so I'm going to jump into the race now. So so a full marathon is 42 kilometers or 26 miles, uh, just a little bit over. And um, and you can sort of break down a marathon into a few uh, into a few sections. <laughs> and a lot of people have um, you know certain feelings when they get to certain distances and whatnot. But for me, like because I'd run a half marathon before. I knew that um, you know half marathon's quite challenging, and then you've got to do another half marathon on top of that. So there's there's one half and then the second half, right? First half marathon, first twenty one k's, and then the second half marathon, the second twenty one k's, and um, and they're they're usually for most people there's like a little bit of a slow section in the middle where they 
they're sort of you know understanding what's actually going on and generally they're they're not used to pushing through to do another half marathon so for for anyone who's doing a first full marathon it's like that distance between 30 and 35 or or 20 to 35 that distance right there can be um pretty painful and can be just a little bit daunting mentally because you you know that you've got so much left to run but uh, you're you're essentially feeling pretty terrible <laughs> and uh so generally there can be a pretty slow middle in there unless you're really consistent with your running over the over the start and then and then there's like the the, the finishing 5k's or the finishing 7 kilometers where you understand how how far you've got left and then you can sort of uh, empty the empty the tank so that so to speak and so you can really get all of that energy straight out and you can you can fly home, especially along the finish line where everyone's usually standing there cheering or whatever it is. Uh, so there's usually a, a pretty distinct amount of, of uh, sections in a marathon like that. Now, the race that I ran, <laughs> um, uh, I went too fast in the, in the first half, um, which resulted in me being pretty slow between 25 and 30 kilometers, 25 and 35 kilometers. So there was a 10k gap in there where I went from doing six minute kilometers right down to nearly eight minute kilometers. Um, and that was simply because I was running in a threshold zone for the first half marathon, sort of not understanding that, um, you know, for when you go from running a high carbohydrate run to a low carbohydrate run, you really have to make sure that you're not running too fast um, so that you can continue that pace throughout the run. Whereas in a high carb run, if you're burning all of the carbohydrates and then you can just, you know, suck down another gel or something and you can generally keep going at that speed, even though your legs hurt a lot, you still have that uh, amount of energy to be able to um, push through at that um, I guess an un- unintelligent pace. <laughs> um, whereas, yeah, when you're running a half or when you're running in a low carbohydrate state, you really have to make sure you're not using up all of your glycogen. And from for my training, um, that was really apparent because none of the runs or the rides that I used to do were ever in that really slow pace. Um, and that there's like a little bit of a gray zone where you're either running at a really slow pace or a really fast pace. And if you're running in that gray zone a lot, you're not actually benefiting either side of those those spectrums, and you're just putting in junk miles, uh, and you're and you're not getting any benefit out of there except for a lot of stress. So you're not going fast, and you're not going slow. So that's a common mistake that some people make when they come from a high carbohydrate state into a low carbohydrate state is they still try and train at that you know medium intensity or or trying to tap into a little bit of fast but you never really get the benefits of being slow or fast and uh for me you know throughout the 12 weeks i really had to slow down my long runs and my my training to be able to effectively get through without using any sugar or or any uh you know substances that can effectively push you through those those times. So, so in this race for me, I ran too fast in the first half. So I got to about the 25k mark, and I just started to uh, slow down. I could see it on my watch. You know, my my pace started going from 6:45, uh, sorry, 5:45 to 6, and then 6:30, and then seven minutes, and the whole way I was going, oh no, what's going on? Um, and, I, and I knew it because I wasn't sure whether I could hold that pace 
throughout the entire marathon because I went out going pretty fast and I thought, oh no, it's just the race. You know, I've, I've got all this extra energy because I'm going through this race. I'm going through this run uh, with a whole bunch of people cheering me on. So I might be able to push it a little bit further than, than what I thought possible. Um, but turns out, couldn't do it. <laughs> um, and I don't necessarily think that was down to being low carb. I just think that uh, your pace definitely slows down a little bit when you do go into a ketogenic state because you have to be able to burn fat. Now, this is a strictly ketogenic state, um, and this really applies to uh, you know no gels, no carb, like hardly any carbohydrates, hardly any of that. You, you have to be in a, in a zone where your body can effectively burn fat. And that is generally, for most people, a, a pretty low heart rate. Uh, and if you start pushing too high, that's when your body starts burning glycogen. And you've only got a limited amount of glycogen that you can store in your body, especially when you're low carb. That glycogen level's pretty low. Um, and, and yes, you can burn fat at a much higher rate than usual, but it's still not that really high octane fuel that's going to um, you know, really give you a, an extreme burst of energy. It is going to enable you to get to the finish line without feeling like your world's caving in, um, but you, you really have to watch that you're not going too fast. So training uh, for that is, is imperative. Um, so for me, you know, I hit that wall at the 25K mark and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, and so I had... Um, you know, I had a, a seven Ks uh, left, uh, so I got to the 35 K mark, and that was where I was like, "Okay, I'm done running slow. This is not only hard, but it's really bad form. I can tell that my, you know, my feet and my legs and everything is just all wrong." Um, so I tried to really pick it up, and I tried to, you know, get back in the zone in that last seven kilometers. And I ended up um, from there. I ended up passing people. So most of the race people were passing me, but after, you know, in that seven k, seven k's to go, um, I really started passing other people. And so I was able to finish relatively strong there. But you know, that section from twenty five to thirty five kilometers was pretty hard. Uh, and then in the last two kilometers. I finished at the pace that I started out at. So, um, you know, definitely those last two kilometers, I felt like I was almost sprinting. Um, but, you know, at the start of the race, I just felt like I was jogging. So the difference can be, you know, night and day when you have low energy and you have, um, you know, just a lack of, a lack of fuel, you know. <laughs> um, but, like, I mean, it's, it's not that carbohydrates provide all of that energy. I was still able to get through this run without... Um, using any carbohydrates at all really uh, and relying on things just like uh, electrolytes and some nut butter but those last two kilometers was a real mental shift because you can you can finally just empty the tank you can go out there and give it everything because you know that you've only got two kilometers left and you can see the finish line almost uh, so that that was really really good and from what I've noticed in the past um, doing high carbohydrate races and high carbohydrate runs you are in a whole world of pain in that last two kilometers and your whole world is totally zoned in you feel like you're just in this little black hole and you're running towards the finish line and by the time you stop you know that's when your your world sort of opens up but the difference between that and the run that I did in the ketogenic state my world was open the entire time I could I, you know I, I could tell you that the buildings that I was running past and you know just the mental um, acuity and that the, the mental um, capacity you have while you're running is just incredible uh, and so you know 
I, I was able to take in a lot more of the scenery. You know, we're running on the Gold Coast, so you're effectively running on the beach or just off the beach for most of the way, and it's such a beautiful run. So I don't know why you wouldn't want to be in that sort of state. Um, obviously, you know, if you're trying to run an extreme, extremely fast marathon like the elites, then you would just be wanting to finish with a good time. But, you know, for, for me, uh, I'm, I'm never going to be an elite. So I think, and you know, 98, 97% of people are probably in that area as well. You know, they, they want to improve their time, but they also want to be able to live their life. Uh, so I think doing it in a ketogenic state is, is, is really, really important for those people because you enjoy it, you know. Um, so I guess let's talk about some of the nutrition of the race uh, and, you know, some of the things that I had pre-race, some of the things I had during the race and some of the things I had after the race. So in the Gold Coast Marathon, there is aid stations at every two and a half kilometers. Uh, so I don't know what that is in miles, but they have uh, water every two and a half kilometers, and then they have what's called Endura at every five kilometers. And Endura is basically like an electrolyte mix that has a little bit of carbohydrates in it as well. Um, and so uh, pre-race, I had um, I didn't really think about what I was going to eat for breakfast because most of the time I've been running fasted. Um, and like, I mean, in, in, in hindsight, this would have been better for me to have, uh, some sort of fuel before the actual race, because, you know, you get up pretty early and you get to the race precinct and, you know, everyone's got these jitters and you, and you're there for like a good hour, two hours before you actually start running. So there's enough time for you to be able to digest whatever you've eaten. Um, but unfortunately I didn't really think about that. I had a few extra almond butter packets with me. Um, so I had those and the almond butter packets I was using was my own mixture. It's almonds and, uh, MCT oil and, and lots of salt. And it's really good for running, um, but as a pre-race meal, probably not so great. Um, I had that. I had. I probably had two of those packets, so it would have been close to 500 calories in that. Uh, and I just had one black coffee. So that was pre-race, and I had some water uh, before I was, you know, lining up, and and uh, I was feeling pretty good at that stage. And MCT oil is is fantastic for that because it actually processes. Um, quicker than sugar in your body because it it, it, it it can bypass your liver so so um what happens with most fats is that they have to be processed through your liver before they can actually be used as atp and the atp is the you know the energy production in your body and so mct oil can actually bypass your liver and go straight into energy which is really important um, for doing things like this and and is generally a really really good pre-workout style of fat to use um, but I mean, like it would have been nice to have had just some eggs or <laughs> something like that before a marathon. So if you're doing this, I definitely suggest, you know, having uh, some eggs or some avocado or something that is a, a little bit more substantial and might have a little bit more fiber in it. Um, because yeah, the almond packets just feel like you're not, you haven't really had anything. Um, so with me for the run, I had two bottles. I had a, a, you know, like a belt on me that had two bottles and I had an almond butter packet in my, in the back of it. So I was carrying my phone, my two, the two little water bottles and the almond, almond butter on the back. And the two water bottles had, um, two scoops each of low carb Endura and the low carb fuel by Endura here in Australia. Um, it's, it's pretty much got next to no carbs, um, and the carbs that it does have in it are basically, I don't know, fiber and bits from leftover from the magnesium and the potassium and that. 
Uh, it's, it's basically just a mix of salt and those electrolytes that you need um, and a little bit of extra flavor. So the one I had was a tropical flavor and you can get raspberry and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's something that's just a little bit different to water. And I guess it sort of tricks your body into think that you might be having something with, with some sugar in it. And, uh, you know, it's just a little bit different, a little bit of a pick-me-up. So electrolytes are really important when you're actually running something like this, I think, um, because if you're just taking in lots and lots of water and you're sweating out all of the magnesium and the sodium and all of the you know electrolytes that you do have on your body and you get that sort of like crusty white um feeling on your skin that's that's all of your um salts being let out of your body and and when that happens you know you you start taking in more water because your body's not able to actually hold the water that it has and so you you run the risk of being hyponatremic, which is basically you've got too much water with you and not enough uh, salt to actually retain it. And uh, you, you know it's it's a bad place to be in. So definitely having electrolytes when you're running a ketogenic marathon is is very very important. So I had four scoops in total of that, and um, yeah, the one butter, one packet of almond butter. So um, that that got me through to about. Uh, the 30 kilometer mark um, you know I was taking water probably every station after the 10k mark so from from zero right up to 10 kilometers um, I didn't really you know go near any of the aid stations there were lots of people ducking off even at the first one and I thought whoa <laughs> these <laughs> these people are either in for a long race or um, I don't know what they're doing but I really didn't need water right up until like maybe 10ks and that was about um, you know, I guess I, 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 when you're running and you take the, the uh, paper cup off the, off the bench, you sort of squeeze it shut around your nose and drink it. So you can keep running, but you're still drinking the water. You can't really breathe at that, at that time, but it's a good strategy to get into the, the rhythm of, because if you have to really stop and slow down when you're drinking, um, not only you can waste time, but you know, you get in mixed in with other people and it gets pretty hard to get out. Um, so if you can sort of run and drink at the same time and then just throw the throw the cup away as you're running past into one of the bins then then that's pretty effective but you know every every two and a half k's after that I was pretty much taking in water and it started to get relatively hot and humid as well so um, it is winter here in Australia but it can get quite humid so it was in the mid 20s I guess or low 20s um, for the race and uh, you know you, you you end up just needing water at at, at most stations. <laughs> um, but what I, what happened was is that I got to I I hit that wall at twenty five kilometers, and um, and at the thirty kilometer aid station they had Endura, and Endura is exactly like what I had in my back pocket, except the one that they had had a little bit of carbohydrates in it. Um, and so I grabbed one of those and I had it uh, and and it picked me up for a little while and so I had I had one of those at the 30k mark and one at the 35k mark as well um, and I could feel that I was uh, going into a you know not a great state and so I, I thought that those those two drinks might have helped a little bit and realistically they've they're very watered down so the, the the people at the at these aid stations they get given these big buckets of endura and they mix it in with you know they dilute it down to whatever it is that they need to 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 be able to you know sustain everyone for the race and so they're relatively watery so i wasn't too worried about the actual carbohydrates that were in that 
that mix. Um, and you know, I, I, I could have done without them, but it mentally, it really, really helped at the 30 K's and the 35 K's. Um, so that, that was the only thing that I wasn't super proud of, but I, it, I felt, <laughs> it felt like it helped. And so after that, it was just water all the way to the end. Um, and, and that got me through the race. So effectively, you know, two, uh, I had just the two bottles and they were only 200 mils each, which is about, I don't know, eight ounces, I guess each. Um, so not a lot of electrolytes with me. Um, but you possibly could have taken more or taken more and, and had people, you know, stationed at the 30 and the 35 K mark with, with extra ones of those, but I didn't have that. I just, you know, took the Enduro from the bench. And then when the race finished and you run over the finish line, they have a whole bunch of, um, you know, things that you can pick up on, on your way out. And you walk under this like spraying water um, <laughs> tunnel, and it's so good because it was it was pretty hot by that stage. Um, and so getting through and and being a, being able to cool down was was really really important. Uh, so I grabbed two bottles of water there, and uh, and I had family who brought some some high protein bars. <laughs> so I had I had some of those to to finish, um, and that really really helped. And so when I got home after that, um, you know. A post race, it's it, some people think that it's really important to not only get protein in, but to be able to get a lot of carbohydrates in because your body's depleted of glycogen, and you know trying to refuel it with those those carbohydrates or that sugar is important. But uh, I totally disagree. And from the books that I read on the art and science of low carbohydrate performance, which is a, a like an absolutely imperative book to read if you want to start doing this sort of stuff, and all of this will be in the show notes. Um, is that uh, I learned that keeping the the fat high once you've finished a race, and you don't have to eat straight away, um, but keeping the fat high is really important for recovery. And and what I mean by that is that you know uh, I came home and I had some scrambled eggs with butter and half an avocado and some camembert cheese, and most of that is fat. I guess there's a little bit of carbs in the avocado, but not enough to sort of really spike you in, uh, to you know, get that insulin response going. And you're trying to keep all of your body at a a, a, a pretty high carb, uh, sorry, a high fat state. And what happens in that state is that you don't have any extra, um, you know, areas of your body that are trying to boost with <laughs> with those carbohydrates that you've put into, put into your body. Um, and so, trying to keep a high fat state actually improves your recovery ability. Um, and so the day after the run, so this is Monday after the run, and my legs feel really, really good in comparison to something where I've, I've run a really fast half marathon and I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed the next day. <laughs> um, and, you know, just the recovery abilities of the doing a low-carb ketogenic diet is just absolutely fantastic. And it is one of the reasons why I'm going to continue doing this in the future um, because I'm not a big fan of being extremely sore after a race and having to deal with the whole like, you know, not being able to walk upstairs and whatever. Um, if you can get back into running, uh, you can es essentially keep building that endurance and that fitness even more. Um, and so, you know, uh, obviously when you've done a big race like this, you don't go straight back out and keep trying to do that marathon distance or whatever it is. You've really got to taper back into um, those distances. So it's it's almost like a reverse taper as you're coming back out of a, a marathon. You've got to really work up to that distance again over two or three weeks. 
Um, so, you know, doing marathons back to back is not a great idea unless you're really, really fit. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's keeping, keeping your post race meal, uh, to a, to a high fat, um, ratio is, is important for recovery. Uh, and, and if you want to read more about that, you can read it in the, um, art and science of low carbohydrate performance. Um, but you know, let's move on to pacing. So, I, I guess I guess the pacing we sort of talked a little bit about that beforehand, but you know I went out in the did a, a fast half marathon, uh, which felt easy at the time, um, and then you know burnt out at that twenty five to thirty k mark, uh, which resulted in you know me just hitting a little bit of a wall and I could see my pace going down on my watch, um, but as I said you know when I got back to that to that zone where I was able to slow down and get my heart rate back into that math zone. I was sitting in a pretty good pace um, and then I was able to pick it up from the last seven kilometers onwards and then, you know, even further in the last two kilometers. And uh, the last two kilometers, I was overtaking people like crazy and um, and not uh, I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, be those heroes that just sprint at the end of the run and, um, and you know, want to pretend that they were doing that the entire race. Um, I, I was, I actually had a lot of energy towards the end of the race. And that, that, that's something that I have not experienced at all in any of my, um, endurance efforts. It's, is you, you generally get to the, the finish line and you sort of just limp over the finish line and get there and you go, wow, thank you. You know, I'm so glad that is over. Um, whereas with this one, I, I was able to stand up, I was able to walk around, I was able to do everything um, that I, you know, couldn't do in the past. Uh, so that that was pretty eye-opening for me. Um, but in, in general, you know, it, it was my first full marathon, so my pacing wasn't fantastic, which resulted in me having a little bit of a crash at that point. But so, you know, in, in hindsight, I, I should have slowed down even further in the first half marathon and then you know continued that pace throughout the next uh you know k's in the middle and if you're doing a ketogenic marathon or a half marathon i i really suggest doing that as well um because it's going to feel pretty easy going out at the in the first section um but it's going to feel exponentially harder as you get towards the finish line um but you know a lot of it is a mental game and so when you're training, you're tr- really trying to not only train your legs to be able to run that far, but train your mind to be able to push you through that distance and not have to worry about, am I going to make it home? Am I going to, you know, is anything going to go wrong? Wow, my ankle's really hurting. What happens if I keep going? Those types of um, scenarios really play havoc in your mind when you start doing these long distances. And it's just as much of a mental game as it is a, a physical game. So um, you know, I think it's even more so when you're doing a ketogenic style marathon because, you know, you, you may not be running at a pace that you previously could have, um, but you're also finishing at a faster pace than you than you would have previously as well. So it's sort of a double-edged sword there, but, um, you know, in, in hindsight, I would have liked to have started out a little bit slower and finished stronger in the second half. That would have been ideal, but you know that's just something you learn as you do marathons and as you do those types of runs. So you know, all in all, doing a ketogenic marathon is definitely possible. Um, and you know, some people go out there and they just use water, um, but you know, some people go out there and they do use electrolytes. I think I think using electrolytes is pretty important uh, from my standpoint, anyway. And just having uh, something like almond butter is is good to. 
I don't know, just sort of pick you up a little bit halfway through. Um, and I, I had the almond butter probably at the just over the halfway mark. Um, and that's that's where I usually do it in my training runs as well. So none of the stuff that I used in the race was new. It was all the same sort of stuff that I was using in, the, in my training runs. So all my training runs were basically sl- slower and shorter versions of what I did in the marathon. Um, and you know, I, I hadn't run a full marathon before, so doing at that extra distance was probably what got to me as well. Um, my training, you know, the, the training program goes right up to 36 kilometers uh, in, in the training program, um, but I didn't actually get to that. My, my longest run was only 30 kilometers, um, purely because when I went out and did that run, I got to the end where the 15k turnaround was um, for a 30k and then I tried to do a few extra kilometers just around the streets there to try and make up the, the extra three kilometers. And it was just infuriating me. So I, I, I picked up and turned around and I ended up only doing 31 or something um, because I just really didn't map out the course correctly. Uh, and so when you're going out and doing these training runs, it's really important to actually go out and map out where you're actually going to go um, so that you don't have to think about it too much. Because if you're trying to tack on three or six kilometers at the end of a 15-kilometer run and then do the 15-kilometer run back home, uh, it's really not fantastic. And I've done this before when you're riding. You know, you get back and you've done 98 kilometers and you go, oh, I'm just going to go uh, go do an extra two kilometers somewhere and you end up just doing laps around your house. And it's the, it is the most demoralizing ride of your life it is just so terrible um, so i really wouldn't recommend doing that make sure you map it out um, for the for the total distance of your training ride um, you know and there are some camps where where people think that you know consuming extra fat along the way um, probably isn't necessary and you know to a degree that's true and i think that's uh, probably up to up to it uh, you know everyone's different everyone's unique um, whether you need to consume extra fat throughout that run uh, you probably do don't, but you might be able to get away with it just from a mental standpoint. Um, having something different, having something extra is is something that can bring you back from uh, a little bit of a dead point. So yeah, consuming extra fats uh, may not be the, the most important thing to you. Um, and then you can also take uh, what, what Zach Bitter does in his approach. So Zach Bitter is a, an ultra marathon runner and his approach is that he needs to get to a point where he's fat adapted enough so that he doesn't have to consume a lot of food during a race. And so for most people, they, they run and they consume anywhere from 600 to 800 calories an hour, um, which can, you know, it looks like multiple gels and uh, muesli bars and all that sort of stuff, all those types of, you know, really high sugary uh, electrolyte drinks. Uh, they try and get as many calories in with that. But what Zach Bitter does is he, he, he uh, you know, gets fat adapted as possible, uh, which generally looks like, you know, if you can go out and run for about four hours and you're, you're fat adapted like that as possible, then you can go then and start trickling in extra carbohydrates as you need them. And so he probably, you know, consumes maybe two, three or 400 um, as, as, as you, uh, extra calories from carbohydrates as you need them throughout that run so that you don't um, hit any walls and so that it, because, you know, he's racing, he's racing and he's trying to actually win these types of events. And so that's, that's pretty important for him to be able to uh, kick up that extra gear and to be able to you know push it further and harder than he even thought was possible in his training so 
That is also an approach that you can take as well. Um, and that's probably a, an approach I'm going to be using in the future uh, because I do like being able to run fast and it's quite exhilarating. Um, but it's, it's good to know that you can definitely do it without all of those things. Uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's some of the takeaways that I got from doing the keto marathon is that you don't necessarily have to have anything. You can go out there and you can just run it with water. Um, but you know, having a few of those extra things might be important if you're trying to push into a higher gear, if you're trying to get a really good time. Um, I think some of those things can be beneficial and don't necessarily put any stress on the, uh, nutritional side effects that you can get from a marathon or just running in general. And, and I think, you know, if you're training for something like this, you would definitely train in a low carbohydrate state anyway, because you're building your body's ability to not only store glycogen in your body. So if you're using less uh, energy while you're out there, your body is tr basically trained into becoming more efficient. Um, and then, you know, using them on race day, if you need to, to be able to push it into that extra gear. So that, that those are sort of my takeaways. And, um, you know, I like to finish podcasts with, with a couple of shorter questions, um, that aren't necessarily so deep and, uh, <laughs> and meaningful. Um, so, you know, uh, the, some of these questions I've asked some of my guests beforehand. Um, and so I'm going to try and answer them myself as well so that you can uh, get a little bit more of an understanding of uh, where I come from and what, what, what things I do and don't like about <laughs> all of these things. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, the first question I usually ask is, what is your favorite keto food? And for me, um, you know, my, my diet's pretty solidly built up on eggs. Um, and I, I just really like eggs. I, I really liked um, even before I went keto, I would mix raw eggs into smoothies and I would have eggs for breakfast and, you know, eggs were just a bit of a staple for me. And so switching to the ketogenic diet is, is, is pretty easy because eggs are like little nutritional powerhouses, I like to call them. Um, so they're probably my, my favorite staple from the ketogenic diet. Um, you know, the benefits of, of eating more meat and eating more of bacon and things like that aren't, aren't so apparent for me. Um, I really like the ability to be able to have more butter and eggs and things like that. But, you know, I, I think uh, meat and veg is, is great too. So uh, what's your favorite style of training run? Uh, I like to ask people this question a lot because it, it you know, highlights something that uh, either you haven't thought of before in your training or something that you know that there you, you might be able to find out that's good about a, a training run. So for me, um, I really like going out and spending an entire day <laughs> doing something crazy. So, so for me, running this marathon was just the pinnacle of training runs because you come back and you just feel amazing. And I have this, I have this thing every now and then where I, I feel like I have to go out and, uh, you know, really just, uh, try and empty everything. So I, I, I go out and I do these like long, long rides or, or, you know, rides in the middle of the hottest part of the Australian summer and uh, I, I do a lot of cycle touring as well so I, I go out and I uh, I basically ride 200 kilometers one way and then 200 k's back um, and you know I really try and just push the limits of what I can perceivably do and I think those training 
runs or rides uh, for me are, are the most important because they expand your mental capacity and they they really uh, push your limits and they they push the the limits of what you think is possible so those are just my absolute favorite and I guess my second favorite would be running those short interval runs um, because you get the runners high very very quickly <laughs> and then and then you know the, the runners high is basically a, a euphor- euphoric feeling that you get from doing some, something of such high intensity so you know same with with riding as well uh those really short efforts are uh, uh, i'm not necessarily very good at them but i really enjoy them uh i usually ask people what their least favorite keto food is and this is more uh you know to try and <laughs> a lot of people answer with avocados and uh, not 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 many people are fans of avocados as much as they are able to eat them on the ketogenic diet um, but for me, you know, I don't usually have a, a least favorite food because I grew up in a large family, and and generally, if you if you didn't like a particular food, you would you wouldn't really get much else. So you you sort of had a, a an ability to be able to get used to a lot of things. Um, but one thing I didn't like for a very long time was Brussels sprouts until I actually learned how to cook them properly. And so um, you know, when I learned that you can put them in the oven and you can get them really crispy and almost like chips. I just found a new love for Brussels sprouts. So I don't necessarily think that I've got anything that I really despise about the ketogenic diet, but I've got things where I'm just learning. Uh, So Brussels sprouts was one of those. Um, I I, I like to ask this question, what is your least favorite training run or training exercise, whatever it is? Uh, And, you know, that that usually gets out the the things that people are struggling with at the time. (laughs) And uh, for me, that's a tempo run um, because... I'm really not a big fan of, of um, and those tempo runs are, are interesting because you're trying to expand your aerobic capacity, but you're also trying to expand your your mental uh, you know perception of what you're doing as well. So when you're going out and you know that you've got three kilometers left and you're still right on the edge of blowing up, um, I just I really don't enjoy that that part of being right on the edge and uh, you know so those tempo efforts are, are just <laughs> not my favorite um, yeah, some people they, they have these uh, other fartlek runs that they don't enjoy or you know that some people just may not enjoy a particular thing that they're working on currently because it's just really not agreeing with them but you know that that's an interesting question for a lot of athletes that I interview um, who who are you currently inspired by? Now I really like this question, I, and I've introduced it recently into uh, interviewing some of the people that will be coming up in the next few podcasts um, because it highlights, uh, you know, generally uh, I'm really inspired by the people who I'm interviewing. But to get their inspirations um, and you know to sort of see where someone comes from is just an amazing perspective to have so so you know it's you're going to have to keep listening to these podcasts because I'm interviewing some really amazing people who have some fantastic people that they are inspired by um but for me personally and and for me who I'm currently inspired by um I have quite a few <laughs> so um you know they they sort of range from a whole bunch of different countries and different sports and 
genres of of sports but um you know one of them is michael shelley uh he he won the 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 gold coast commonwealth games and he's also uh had gold at the glasgow commonwealth games as well and he's just an amazing guy i i I was able to meet him in his off off season a few years back and uh he's just such a charismatic sort of guy and and for him to actually win something like that is just so amazing so he is such an inspiration um the winner of this year and uh, you know some prior years before as well of the Gold Coast Marathon, uh, Kenneth Mangara. He is, I think, 45 years old, and he's a runner from Kenya, and he used to be a hairdresser, and he recently got into running marathons, and now he's just winning them. He's blitzing them. So uh, he is such an inspiration to see someone uh, of, of his age doing so well in, in such an elite sport. And, and for something that is 42 kilometers, he's running like just over three minute pace. So him and Michael Shelley is just, it's just crazy. Those guys are such an inspiration from a marathon standpoint. Um, and you know, it, it, it doesn't always have to be, uh, from a marathon, you know, it, there's, uh, here in Australia, we have uh, a guy called Kurt Fernley and he is such an inspiring athlete and he's such an inspiring guy too. Um, he, he won gold in the, uh, Paralympic, uh, gold medal in Athens and Beijing. And, and he also won the, uh, Commonwealth games here in Australia as well at the Gold Coast. Uh, he got gold in the marathon. Um, so he's, he, he, he does a few different, uh, different types, but I think he, the marathon is his preferred, uh, distance, I guess, but he is such a great guy. You've got to go check him out, go follow him on, on Instagram or he, he's always just got a really inspirational, um, word to say, or, uh, he, he's such an inspiration for the, the, the Paralympic side of, of sports as well. So, <clears throat> Currently, he's a massive inspiration for me. And same with Madison D. Uh, Rosaro. She has, has not recently, but um, she she has. Uh, I saw her win the 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 women's wheelchair marathon here in in the Gold Coast, and she's rec- and she's also won the Doha and London marathon as well. Uh, and she is an absolute inspiration as well. She just goes hard the entire way. And uh, when I was running the marathon, I, I saw her go past um, and she was absolutely flying. And, and if you follow her on Instagram, she loves her, her dog that she has. And, and it's, you know, it's really awesome. Um, so a lot of these athletes, you know, I try and follow on Instagram because you can sort of see a little bit of their backstory and a little bit of, you know, behind the scenes. So, so she is one to follow and she's a huge inspiration for me at the moment, along with Gwen Jorgensen. So she is um, the 2016 Olympic gold tri triathlon winner um and i can't remember exactly where that was but uh you know she is an an absolute inspiration not only in her triathlon efforts but now she's going for the full marathon as well um and she was recently interviewed by brad beer on his podcast uh and you know some of the training tactics that she has and some of the, the the tactics that she looks back on when she actually goes through training stints um is is really inspirational so if you don't follow gwen jorgensen you you should do she is she is amazing um so there i guess the sort of uh, the the runners and the marathoners that that really inspire me um but i also come from a cycling background so i do have a lot of people who really inspire me from a cycling perspective and and i guess uh the the you know, some of those are bradley wiggins uh he is the tour de france winner of 2012 uh, and he holds the hour record 
um, and he has a book that's called My Hour. And I read that, and I and I was just so inspired by him because he he not only does he play um, such a good role for and role model for for other people going through the sport, but he he's such a critical thinker when it comes to racing. And so for him to win the Tour de France, it's it's like winning this twenty one day chess match. Um, not only from a physical perspective, but from a mental perspective as well. You've got to understand that when you're going up a mountain and someone takes off you can you've got to be able to tell whether they're going to blow up 5k's down the road or um or if they're actually going to make a make a run for it so so he is a fantastic guy to to follow along um and you know he's such an inspiration um Marianne Voss uh, so she's a Dutch cyclist who uh, is pushing she is absolutely um, doing so many great things in the world of cycling. So she came from, I, I believe she came from cyclocross and then she came into road racing and uh, she can put the hammer down like you wouldn't believe. And she won so many races uh, and, and she's really pushing um, women cycling forward. So, you know, there's a Tour de France for the men, but what about the Tour de France for females? Uh, so she was there in the um, the the female race. I think it was in 2015 and 16, where they 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 do the criterium around uh, around the the finish line there at in in France. Um, so so she is an she's an absolute inspiration to to watch as a cyclist and also just as a person as well. So um, she is fantastic. If you don't follow her, go and follow her on Strava or or Instagram or something. Um, uh, you know, back to a few of the to the other athletes that have been recently inspiring me. Uh, Zach Bitter, um, I, I recently listened to him on the the Joe Rogan podcast, um, and he is such an inspiring guy. He has the twelve hour world record for running, so I think it was a hundred and one or two miles uh, in twelve hours, which is just incredible. Um, and he also holds the 100 mile American record, um, and he's he's just such a great guy. And he he does a, a similar as I was saying before. You know, he does a similar low carb approach to these types of races. Um, but he you know he's able to trickle in carbohydrates as he needs them. Um, and he's just you know he's he's willing to talk to anyone. Um, there'll be an interview with him coming up on this on this podcast. So keep your eye out for that. Uh, and he's just he's such a well spoken great guy. Um, and and really really humble too. So he is a big inspiration of mine currently, and will be in the future as well as I you know try and progress in this low carbohydrate ketogenic style of of endurance. Um, ben Greenfield is one to watch for as well. Um, I'm I'm sort of a little bit on and off Ben Greenfield sometimes, but uh, he, generally he is a fantastic inspiration because he tries to share everything that he's doing um and so i remember watching him when he was doing the ketogenic triathlon uh, sorry no the ketogenic ironman um and you know he he sort of documented all of the training that he did for that and in what sort of state that he was doing these things in so and he's also got a podcast and he's got a whole bunch of things going for him so ben greenfield is a great guy and you know he really does he really digs deep in all of these experiments um, so he's really pushing the needle forward for for low carb ketogenic um, athletics and, and endurance. So yeah, Ben Greenfield is one to watch for. Um, Alex Honnold. So I, I I also did a lot of climbing a few years back, um, and Alex Honnold is a is a climber who you know basically 
is pushing the boundary for free climbing and free climbing is is climbing without ropes and and, and it's um it's not to try and push your limits of danger it's really trying to be able to be calm in in yourself and so he is not only such a strong climber but he's also able to go out there and you know be absolutely disconnected from everything and and uh go out there and climb these huge mountains with no ropes and come back down and and do it again on the next mountain and the next mountain the next mountain and he's just he's just such such an inspiration and such a down-to-earth guy and also he um you know when he started off his climbing career he lived in a van for however many years because he just knew that he wanted to do this sport but he wasn't sure how so he just had to live in a van for a while to be able to do it uh so if you don't know alex honnold go ahead and follow him um and then a, a you know a little bit closer to home um, I, I rode for a long time with a, a cycling group called the Brisbane Cycling Club, uh, formerly known as the Psyched Cycling Club, and I'm probably going to go back and ride with them in the next few weeks. Um, but there's a guy called Kent Beasley there, and he is uh, you know part of the organisation team there at the Brisbane Cycling Club, and he is such an inspiration. And for anyone who is a part of that club and and knows Kent, you would agree with me as well because. Um, he he can put the hammer down when he needs to, um, and he's he's very very organised and very inspirational for those people who are up and coming cyclists or you know just need to be feel part of a community. He's such a uh, a great person when it comes to that, and he's built such a great community over there with with everyone else involved as well. Um, so you know it, it's it's good to really have these influences from everywhere in the world. You know you don't they don't have to necessarily be a coach or or someone online they can be someone that's close to home and 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 still just be as, as such inspiration for you as well um I, I i ask people this question who is your number one supporter and for me that's my partner delrose she uh, she um supports me in absolutely everything i do um and uh, you know she she knows what it's like to go through these types of things because she generally either looks after the elite elite athletes at the other side when they're breaking down and they're passing out and all this sort of thing so uh, when i go out and try and do these these training runs she she's very empathetic about that and uh you know it's number one supporter she is definitely that and she supports me all the way through um sports and 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 business decisions and everything so uh she is definitely my number one supporter um what book or video you've uh you've watched recently has inspired you i like asking this question because you know it sort of gives people something to uh come back from the podcast and go and check out um and so for me there's a book that's recently inspired me called the subtle art of not giving an f (laughs) um and it's sort of like a self-help style book but it's done in a way that is um is not not in I'm I'm saying this wrong, but it's it's sort of not inspirational because um, you know it, it it touches on these points where you know people go out there and they're they're on social media or whatever it is and they're trying to portray this highlight reel of what is happening in their life um, and you know the it's the same with the before and after pictures of weight loss uh, and it's and it's why I generally don't do that type of thing uh, is because deep down it's it's a really negative thing because a lot of people. They they want to get to that certain point, but they don't want to constantly be seeing everyone else's um, successes because it just turns into a negative. Uh, and so that book touches on that a little bit, and it also just touches on how to actually um, really 
ground yourself a lot. Um, and yeah, so if you haven't read that book, definitely go and check it out. All of this stuff is going to be in the show notes of the podcast. Um, in a video that I've recently watched, um, there's a guy called Dan Mace who is, uh, I guess, working with with Casey Neistat, who's a famous YouTuber, and and Dan Mace is a is a famous YouTuber now as well. Um, and his videos that he creates are just extremely creative and very very inspiring. So if you haven't watched any of his videos, go ahead and check out Dan Mace on YouTube. Um, very very inspirational stuff. Videos that will definitely inspire your day. Um, I like to ask people what music they've been listening to recently and whether they, you know, listen to music while they're running or cycling or whatever it is, um, just to, you know, sort of gauge where they're at. I was a musician for a long time, so I really love hearing about people's choices here. But I get the, I, I get the benefit of being able to prepare for these types of questions. And so I've got a few artists listed here that I really enjoy and that are just classic favorites and then uh, some of the people I've been listening to recently. So... Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a massive reggae fan. If anyone doesn't know this, you know they they may not know this about me, but I'm a big fan of Fat Freddy's Drop and the Black Seeds and Catch a Fire out of New Zealand. Um, those those bands are just absolutely great to watch, um, and I really grew up a lot on their music. Not necessarily grew up, but I guess I listened to them a lot um, with with at, at music festivals, and and they're just yeah, just so so great. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Kendrick Lamar um, and and Remy here in Australia. Remy uh, is a duo. It's uh, it's got Remy and uh, the other guy that <laughs> does the producing. Um, Hermitude, a fantastic um, Phoenix and Two Door Cinema Club. They're sort of a little bit more of that indie take on music, but those those two bands are particularly fantastic. Uh, I I am a guitar player, so I really love anything that's guitar related. So Django Reinhardt a big fan um or i am a big fan of django um he's a two-fingered gypsy jazz guitarist and uh you know it's is his his music has lived on for a very long time and uh, i used to play a lot of his music and and be really inspired by that uh and and same with rodrigo y gabriela so they came from a heavy metal background and they came into uh sort of like the spanish guitar style and their music is fantastic as well it's sort of a little bit of a a a switch on on the gypsy jazz but more in the spanish style of of playing you know sort of like a nylon string guitar and then uh from the jazz world you know charlie parker is a massive influence uh that that bebop style of music is just just (laughs) so so crazy to listen to and uh you know that that style of music really really got my my gears grinding when i was a jazz bass player uh, so I used to love playing anything Charlie Parker, but you know, uh, and I used to be a DJ for a long, long time. So I can get pretty deep into uh, all of the electronic side of music and <laughs> anything with uh, some some grinding, uh, really disgustingly dark electro music is is fantastic for me. <laughs> but um, I like to end these podcasts on an ending question, and um, and. You know, this question is, is what would you tell someone transitioning from a high carb endurance into a low carb style uh, and what would you not tell them? Um, so for me, like uh, I've, I've tried to explain this over this podcast, I guess, but um, if you're training, if you've trained for a half marathon or full marathon before in a high carbohydrate state and then you're going to switch to a low carbohydrate state, do it 
in a in your off season. Do it in a time where you can effectively put twelve weeks of of training towards just getting really adapted to a, a high fat style of not only eating but running as well. Because um, it's very different. It's very different to do, and you can't just switch it. Uh, four weeks out into if you're training for a marathon so you really need to give it time um, and you really need to take it slow as well something that i found a lot of people do is that they are training in a very very high heart rate or a very high zone um, where they they struggle to actually back off from and so when they go out and they do these long runs or long rides they're just you know putting the hammer down the entire time they get back and they're totally wiped out uh, and they they can't do anything for the rest of the day and and I used to be like that as well I'd come home from a a big ride like I'd come home from a 100k ride and the entire time would be going doing like over 30 kilometers an hour just trying to really push the envelope and you get home and I remember we'd go food shopping and I was just a total wipeout <laughs> just I couldn't even see straight it was just not a good thing and um and so you really need to slow that down whether that's going into your math zone or we're just really targeting something that's a little bit more sustainable, and uh, and from talking to Zach Bitter as well, you know, um, sustainability. You want to be able to do these things for the rest of your life, and so finding a sustainable way for you to do that is more important than being really really strict keto or really really strict high carb. You know, there's a benefit of doing either of those things, and and I think moving forward, you know, uh, training in a low carbohydrate state. And then using carbohydrates on a race day, if necessary, if necessary, might be more beneficial than doing it the other way around. Um, and effectively, you know, you've really only got so many of these really, really long runs or rides that you can do in your life. Um, so you want to make them as sustainable as possible so that you can not only live a great life and be pretty injury-free, but um, just to, to uh, I guess maybe that I, I just summed it up right there, is just being injury-free. You really want to be able to do this for the rest of your life and you want to be able to have a really good quality of life even though you're doing something that is so beneficial for your health. Um, and, and so what are the, some of the things that I wouldn't tell you? Uh, you know, it still hurts. <laughs> even though you're doing something in a low-carbohydrate state and everyone talks about how the recovery is fantastic, um, it's, it's only slightly better. You know, it, it still hurts. Everything about doing these, these training runs and rides Everything still hurts and you've still got to get over the mental capacity that that or the mental ability of being able to push yourself even harder and faster the next time. Uh, and and particularly when you're training in a low-carbohydrate state, you're not using any of the gels or any of the high-carbohydrate diet that, that may have backed you before. Um, so you, you don't have a crutch to lean on if you're having a bad day or anything like that. So you've really got to listen to and understand your body and, and how those things really react to you. And so I guess one of the things that I really learned from doing this this marathon is that you really need to listen to everything that your body's telling you. You know, if you've got a sore ankle, if you've got a sore knee, you can't just run through that uh, even even though you're so hyped up on caffeine that you, you can't even see straight. It's, it's just, it's not beneficial for anyone really. And you still want to be able to live a sustainable life. And so I probably wouldn't tell them that you know it's it still hurts and it's still just as hard to do this um because you still need a little bit of that 
that uh, eagerness to try something new and you still need something to be able to seem fresh and and uh, really really you know inspirational so um, you know for anyone who again for anyone who's looking for a training program specifically for running a half or a full marathon um, then jump over into the show notes because I've got two programs two training programs that are going to really help you do that um, and you know it goes through the 12 weeks of training and it tells you all of the runs and the rides or 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 the swimming or the rowing or whatever it is that you want to do in those times and really calculates it for you down to the pace that you should be doing um, because and you know you sort of calculate that from your 5k pace and you can go from there and so for me I started off doing a 25k and a uh, 25 kilometer sorry <laughs> a 5k at 25 minutes um, and so now I'm down to 21 minutes for a 5k um, but I can, you know, still do the the marathon and the half marathon. Oh, and the final time for the full marathon was four hours and fifty minutes. So it's not it's not the best marathon I could have run. I, I definitely think I can do better next year. Um, but the training program I think is is really 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 effective for trying to minimize the amount of time that you're actually training, but maximize the amount of output that you get from the training. If you're just going out there and running every single day, you're effectively doing a whole bunch of junk miles. Um, and so it's not beneficial for your joints or, you know, anything really. Uh, and if you've got a family and if you're working long hours and all that sort of stuff, it's just you, you really need to be able to think about your time effectively and think about the time that you're putting into your training um, effectively as well. So again, you know, the, those two training programs are in the show notes. Uh, and if you have any questions, definitely um, send me an email or, you know, I'm more than happy to answer anyone's questions with regards to their training for something like this because I know I've been through it, I've done it. There's not a lot of resources out there to actually help people to do this sort of stuff. So that's why I'm really um, motivated to try and get this out there. Um, again, you know, Ben Greenfield's a great, a great resource for this and same with Zach Bitter. Um, they're, they're fantastic people to go and go ahead and, and follow their journey along as well um, because you know I don't have all the answers everyone in this community has 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 answers for a certain particular way or style of doing things and so as a community maybe we can help build this up to to you know not relying so heavily on carbohydrates for training uh, and 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 race days as well you know it's just it's such uh, a thing that has become so apparent that you need to carbo load and you need to have exponential amounts of pasta that will make you go faster <laughs> and it's it's just not true um so you know let me know what you think about this podcast um you know it would really help me if you left a, a review uh, jump on uh, jump on over to itunes or or to wherever you listen to this podcast on and, and leave me a review it would really really help um you know it helps me to be able to create podcasts just like this and to be able to keep going, you know, um, because I don't have any sponsors yet. I don't have anything. So this is just coming off. I just want to be able to do this for you guys and, and really do a really great job of it. So again, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Um, if you have any questions, let me know, comment below in the show notes and all of, all of the resources and things that I've mentioned here will be in the show notes as well. Um, I hope you enjoyed this bonus podcast episode. I really enjoyed putting it together and, um, and I, I'm sure I'll see you next week when I interview someone else for the podcast. All the guests are a little bit hidden, but I'm pretty sure the next week's is going to be uh, really, really awesome. So stay tuned, subscribe. Um, the Fat for Weight Loss show is something that I'm really proud of to be doing 
uh, and and a lot of you guys are i'm getting some great great feedback from it so so thanks again and uh, i will see you next week